All right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And at this time, we're also dismissing the kids. I was getting there, honey. My wife's all excited. She's missed the kids. She's ready for the kids to go to Asbury Church Kids, AT Kids. So they're going to have some fun over there. So they're going to make their way over quietly. But everybody else, grab your Bibles. How many are grateful for God's Word? Okay, we'll try that again. How many are grateful for God's Word? All right, how many brought it with you this morning? Okay, good. If you got your Bible, whether it is print, how many like the print version? Oh my goodness, it's awesome. I prefer print. How many like your digital version? So if you got your Bible, whether it's digital, whether it's analog, would you pull it out right now and uh, turn with us to uh, Matthew chapter uh, 25? Uh, we're going to be looking at a magnificent passage of Scripture uh, in a moment. Uh, we want to welcome not only you here this morning, uh, to those online who are watching. I see some people are watching online, and uh, we want to welcome you this morning. And uh, grab your Bibles, too, if you're watching online. Uh, the, the reason I challenge you to do this, how many know that God's Word provides instruction for our life, and it's good for us to see it? And we're going to kind of bounce around in chapter 24 and 25 this morning. So if you have your Bible, that's going to kind of help you as we kind of work through this, uh, th this fun story today. Well, today we're going to talk about being found ready. How many know one of the challenges in life, especially if you're married and have kids, is getting out the door on time? How many know that struggle? Okay, how many of you, you're like, you're the punctual one, you are on time. It's like, it's time to go. And you're running around going, are you ready? Come on. How many know church shows up every Sunday for here, us, it's 11 a.m. for the Lansing campus, and it seems to take family members by surprise. How many know this to be true? And you're like, are you ready? Are you ready? Now, how many of you, you get to the car early, and you wait? You're like, come on. Well, just a little help, a little help. Please, if you're waiting in the car, don't lay on the horn. How many know the horn does not help? Right? But, but the question is, is are you ready? Are you ready? Are, are you ready to leave? And, and, and sometimes, you know, we, we, you know, for us, it's just like, are you ready? And we get ready to go, and I'll be in the car, and I'll be waiting. I'll pull the car up right to the, so that they come right out of the house and just step into the car. I try to make it as easy as possible. And I just wait, and I don't, I don't lay on the horn. I just wait, and then we'll start driving out. And it doesn't matter if it's church or vacation. We're like, okay, we're going to leave it around this time. And, and we start heading out, and all of a sudden, invariably, someone will say, wait, I forgot something. And they hit the brakes, and then you back up, and they run in, because the question is, is are you ready? Well, today we're going to talk about being found ready. And as we look at this week's story of the kingdom, um, it's going to be that this idea of readiness really is Jesus' answer to a question his disciples raise. And as we look through it, this is what I want us to understand is that we are called to a life of readiness. Everybody say readiness. readiness. We are called to a life of readiness in anticipation of Christ's coming. We are called to a life of readiness. Now, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And, and as we come to it, you have to understand that, that it's within a not only just a larger book, but also within a larger context as we uh, address our story today. Now, we all know, as I, I've mentioned before, Matthew 
We're looking at the stories of the kingdom in Matthew, and, and Matthew is just trying to demonstrate to everybody that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he is the one who would come and restore the kingdom of God uh, to a world that was broken by sin. Now, when, when you read Matthew's gospel, it's kind of a great book. It, it's a great book to study. But you'll find out that Jesus' teachings are, 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 are shaped or formed in five distinct sections. That there are five. And, and Matthew's doing this on purpose because if you remember, if you've read the Old Testament, there are, there are five books that kind of set the foundation for all of what it meant to live as children of God. And that would be uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which is called the Pentateuch. Okay? But, but in the New Testament, as Matthew is writing from a Jewish worldview and a Jewish perspective, he says, okay, what it means to be a follower of Jesus is going to be surrounded by these five teachings. And the very first one you're all familiar with, which is the Sermon on the Mount. How many remember the Sermon on the Mount? It's chapter 5 through 7, and, and, and it tells us about the, this initial, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how to live. Now, he's going to do a, a number of them, but, but what we're going to look at today is the last one, which is kind of like the fifth teaching, which occupies Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25. And, um, and, and as we do, this last section is really about, the, the, is kind of rooted around this idea about the end. How many of you like endings? No. Right? How many know endings can be kind of unsettling? Right? So, 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 you know, we just prayed for a bunch of families as they get ready to, to transition. Kids have finished high school and now they're moving into college and, and, and there's, a, there's an ending and there's a beginning. And endings can produce kind of a dissonance because what was before isn't going to stay the same and now we're going to step into something different. Well, the disciples had this question because as they were leaving, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jerusalem for the last time before the, the, the next time Jesus will be in Jerusalem is for his death and his resurrection. But as he's leaving the city, he, you know, the, the disciples are looking at the temple and the temple is this magnificent structure. It was, it was the central place. It was the place where, for the Jewish people, it's where God's presence dwelt. And, and it was this enormous, magnificent structure. Uh, if you remember Herod, how many are familiar with Herod the Great? You remember he tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby? Uh, Herod was known as, as a ruler. He was kind of, uh, he had uh, a kingdom, a reign. He had responsibilities, governance responsibilities around the Israel uh, area. And one of the ways to curry favor with the Jewish people was actually to, to make uh, the, ta uh, the, the temple pop. And, and so what he did is he did this enormous construction project that lasted decades. And, and it, took, it took the temple and, and, and it just it added the wow factor. And it was this enormous structure, and it was physically beautiful and appealing. It was, it was impressive, and as people came to worship God, there was this sense of, wow, we are not only just worshiping this great God, but we're worshiping Him in this great space. The disciples, as they were walking out, were commenting, all like, oh my goodness, look at the magnificence of this temple. And Jesus said to his disciples, he says, guys, I want you to understand, you see all this beauty, you see this magnificence, you see this thing that seems so impressive, I want you to know 
it's going to end. It's, it's not going to last. The, this thing you see with, with all these stones, and it was built with these enormous stones, some stones weighing 400 uh, to 700 ton that were placed not at the foundation but placed at the second row. Like, they were these enormous stones. And Jesus is like, listen, the, the, the stones of this temple, you see all this magnificence, it's, it's all going to be destroyed. There's a day coming when this will end. And it's interesting because Jesus is kind of helping us understand this world that we live in, how many know everything ends? Everything has, in a sense, a shelf life, except for, I think, Twinkies. But, but everything has a, a shelf life. Why are we doing a roof project in Dryden? Wouldn't it be great if shingles lasted forever? Can I get a witness? Wouldn't it be great if, if, if the car that you bought and paid all that good money for was not rotted by New York salt? Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Right? We, we look at everything and you're like, you know everything is coming to an end. So I heard this comedian this last week and he said something funny because he was talking about statistics and how statistics can mean a whole lot of things and he was noting that you know, it says that 44% of marriages end in divorce. And he goes, if you think that sounds bad, do you know what that means? 56% of marriages end in death. <laughs> Which was kind of troubling. Right? I know we say till death do us part, but you know, but, but how many know that even relationships, like in, in being, there's always an end. Everything comes to an end. Jesus tells his disciples, guys, look, you see this beauty, you see the magnificence, you see this thing that is so much greater than anything that you could ever achieve on your own and it looks like it's permanent. I want you to know it's coming to an end. And the disciples begin to think about this word and so they begin to ask the question then. Tell us, you see this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, tell us then, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Like, what is this end thing about? Like, when is it going to be? How many think it would be helpful to know when the end of something is? We kind of like that. We like the predictability. And so the disciples are like, okay, so, so when is your coming and, and when is going to be the end of the age? Now this idea of the, the, the coming and the end of the age, the idea of coming is this idea of divine visitation. Uh, uh, this end of the age is part of this Old Testament hope that in the end God will make everything right. That there is coming a time when a world that has been broken by sin, a world that has experienced destruction and, and, and a world that has experienced disappointment and hurts, that one day God himself is going to step into it and make everything right. That it would be the time when God's kingdom would finally win out over every, every darkness Every disappointment. This is part of this Jewish Old Testament expectation that God would ultimately usher in 
and eternal kingdom. Now, it's kind of interesting as, as, as you read through the Gospels because Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven, the, the, the kingdom of God, and, and the kingdom being the place where the reign of God is manifest. Because how many know if you have a king, a king needs a kingdom? And, and the kingdom is just the place where the reign of God or the reign of the king is, is manifest. And so as he talks about the, the kingdom of heaven, he, Jesus is coming and he's announcing, you know, hey, I want you to know the time's here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like the kingdom of, of heaven is close. And, and there's this excitement and this anticipation. Yet within this idea of the kingdom, we find as we read through Matthew, there's this sense of tension. Now, how many of you like tension? You know, tension is one of those things where, where you wrestle between things. And and, and the idea of the kingdom in Matthew is actually there's this tension, which is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is now, but it's not yet. It's begun, but it hasn't finished. And being a follower of Jesus, we, we actually live and experience this tension. How many know that Jesus in his coming came and paid not only the price for our sin, but he also came to, to, to make a way for us to experience healing. And how many know that there are times where we believe that Jesus is the God who heals, yet sometimes our prayer for people to be healed doesn't happen. And then there's that tension. Lord, I, I thought you said the kingdom is here, but we're not seeing the kingdom manifest. There's a time where, where with the kingdom of God, there's a sense of God's going to make it right. Yet there are those times where we wrestle because it's not being made right yet. We wrestle with that tension. See, Jesus is saying, hey guys, I want you to understand that the kingdom of God has come. It's, it's, it's here. Yet there's a part that the kingdom of God is not yet. There, there's this anticipation. There's this looking for the end, the end of days. The idea of end there is, is this idea of, uh, of telios. It's, it's, it's a time, that, then that word means completion, perfection, or finishedness. That it is done, it is complete. And the truth is, as followers of Jesus, we wrestle with these tensions, don't we? The kingdom of heaven being now, but not yet. It's no surprise that the disciples simply ask, well, okay, so when is the end? Like, when is this all going to be made right? When, when is the, the, the wrong going to be, you know, where, where justice is going to be experienced? When, when is it going to be where we're going to know and experience restoration? When are the tears going to be wiped away? When is sorrow going to flee? When will sin be done with? When will the kingdom of heaven be fully realized? And it's interesting because Jesus begins to answer his followers as they ask, when is this going to happen? And his answer both unsettles and instructs. Because this is his answer. Because how many want to know about the end? And he says, about that day or hour, no one knows. Only the Father in heaven. And then it goes on to say, you know what it's going to be like? 
as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up till the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. He's saying, listen, the, the end, the, when the end comes, people will just be going about their life as normal. They'll, they'll be getting married. They'll, they'll be being given away in marriage. They'll, they'll, be, they'll, they'll be getting up. They'll be going to work. They'll be eating. And in the midst of some day, some normal day, some day like you and I would be a part of, all of a sudden, something's going to happen. So Jesus says, therefore... Keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So, you must be ready. Everybody say ready. ready. That he, the, the end is coming, so, so you must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour you don't expect him. So it's kind of interesting. Jesus is, he's, as, you know, as Matthew's like taking these teachings of Jesus, you got the beginning, and now we're at the last one. He's saying, hey, I want you to know, Jesus has something to say about the end and about how do we live. And what I think is interesting is Jesus doesn't really answer their question of when, but he tells them how to live in anticipation of the end. So he tells a story. It's going to be like. And his story is about ten virgins. And, and five of them are wise, and five are foolish. Now, just as we look through it, it it's going to be great, because it's going to give us a sense of what does it mean to be wise. And, and, and this is an idea that, 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 again, in this, what I love is in this last uh, section of Jesus' teaching, it's actually connected to the first section, which is the Sermon on the Mount. There are echoes. How many of you like good literature? Like good literature has a way of tying a bow between the end and the beginning. And Jesus' teachings do this. And if you remember in, 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 the, Sermon on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ends up saying, hey guys, I want to talk about two different people. There, there's the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. And then there's the foolish who builds their house on the sand. And this idea of wise and foolish then comes back in here at the end as he says, okay, I want to tell you what the end is going to be like. I want, I want to tell you about it. And he talks about the wise and the foolish. And so this is what it says beginning in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. It says, at that time, at that time, at the end of days, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. Everybody say, long time. The bridegroom was long time in coming, and they all became drowsy. How many of you have ever been a part of a long sermon and you start getting tired? Come on now, poke your neighbor. Say, wake up! 
I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. Dwayne, he's, he's still with me. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And at midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, or the bridegroom is here. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. And as the story ends, Jesus, just for his followers, reiterates the point, therefore, keep watch. Because you don't know the day or the hour. Okay, as we read through that story, how do you think that story is a little harsh? You know, it's kind of interesting in our, our culture, we're, we're not always friends of, of harsh stories. And so in our culture today, you know what they're doing? They're taking old stories and then the parts of the stories that are offensive, they're changing old stories so it doesn't hurt people's hearts. What I find interesting is that when Jesus tells a story, he tells a story that's got this twist to it, that's kind of like confrontational. Now, you know what's interesting about stories? Again, he, he presents a story, and there's the wise, and there's the foolish, and, and whenever you read a story, you know what's amazing about stories? Stories are invitations for us to step into the story and to become a part of it. This is why we get lost in a story. Anybody here ever been lost in a book? Right? You just get caught up because you're not just reading the story. You're not just looking at it from the outside. There's this part that you've stepped into it. And what Jesus does is he begins to tell a story, and all of a sudden, part of the reason we feel that little tension is because all of a sudden we can find ourselves inside the story. And the question is, are we wise or are we foolish? As we look at this story, I want to note three quick things, three important ideas from this story. Because Jesus says, you know, that day will be like, that, as, as he said, that t at that time, at, at that end of days, the kingdom of heaven will be like, like, this is what it's going to be like. And I think it's interesting that he says, you know what the kingdom of God is going to feel like when it finally comes in? It's going to feel like a long time. And so there's this part of the story where it helps us understand that delay can be draining. Delay can be draining. How many like waiting? Come on, all the people who like to wait, raise your hands. All of you, come on. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't like waiting. When do I want it? Want it now. I want as little waiting as possible because waiting is like, awful. 
It's not, oh, it, it can be like, it just, now I love it because he's telling the story about a wedding and how many know weddings are exciting and fun? How many like weddings? I still like weddings. Even though 56% of them end in death. Um, I, I, I'm like, dude, that this, is, this is like, dude, I love weddings. It's a time of celebration and excitement. It's, it, it's a time of celebrating love and commitment and, and potential. And, and there's all this expectation. And, and the way they did weddings back in the day is a little bit different than what we have in, in our day. But there's this idea of expectation. And these, and these young ladies have the opportunity to be a part of the procession where the bridegroom comes. Yet they have to wait. And I'm sure at first, as they were given the invitation, hey, do you want to be a part of Like, yeah, and they're all excited. And then all of a sudden, he's coming. He's going to come. You get to be a part of the party. Yay, it's going to be a part of the procession and the pageantry. It's going to be amazing. And then all of a sudden, he didn't show up when you thought. And then he waited a little bit longer. And then a little bit longer. And it's interesting how in waiting you can go from excitement to exhaustion. I'm tired. Anybody here ever been in the place where you've been waiting for the kingdom of God to be manifest in your life? Maybe it's an answer to prayer. And you've been praying, maybe praying for the salvation of your children. Maybe you've been praying for healing. Maybe you've been praying for, for God to lift a burden in your life. And it's not happening. And all of a sudden, you're in that place where there was at that one moment where there was that excitement of hope that God's going to do something. His word has spoken to me. His spirit has confirmed something. God's going to do it. And there's that excitement. But then it doesn't happen in the time that we want. And all of a sudden, it's just kind of like there's this tiredness. And it gets hard to believe. Because delays are draining. And it's interesting as Jesus says, hey guys, listen, there's a, there's a day that's coming, but it may not always show up on the time that you're expecting. Not just in your immediate, but, but also in the ultimate. It may not show up. You see, in the waiting, our mindset can be impacted. Our expectations can shift. And sometimes we can get to the place where we simply say this, maybe it's not going to happen. And Jesus is trying to counsel, he's trying to encourage his followers, hey guys, listen, I want you to understand, there's an end coming. But listen, there may be waiting involved. Don't get worn out by the waiting. Because ultimately... The second thing we learn from the story is that his coming is inevitable. At the midnight cry, at midnight it says the cry rang out, the bridegroom is here. Like he's come. Like there is a time that is coming where Jesus will come. If you read in Acts chapter 1, it, it says this, there was the, what we call the day of ascension. After 40 days, after Jesus had risen from the dead, he showed himself to his disciples, to his followers, and showed that he was alive. He taught them and encouraged them. And then he, they gathered together, and as they were standing on the mountain, all of a sudden, Jesus went from the earth, and he started ascending into heaven. And all of a sudden, the disciples, as they watched their risen Savior rise, and all of a sudden, he gets covered in the clouds. And the angel said, this same Jesus, 
This same Jesus that you saw go into heaven, caught up in the clouds, He is going to come again in the clouds. He's going to come again. He's going to come and make everything right. He's going to come and, and bring an end to, 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 to sin and death and destruction. And he's going to wipe every tear. And, he's going to, it's going to be, and that's going to be a time of both sorting and settling and, and all these different things. And, and Jesus is going to come again. He's going to come with the clouds. His coming is inevitable. And Jesus says, guys, I want you to understand there may be waiting, but the coming is inevitable. And this is important for us because as we wrestle with kingdom pieces and sometimes we watch what's going on in the world around us and we become overwhelmed and we become discouraged sometimes by all that we see, I want you to know that Jesus is coming again. And he wants his followers to know, listen, I am coming. It is inevitable. But the other thing that we learn from the story, not only can, can delays be draining and that his coming is inevitable, but we also learn this, that being ready for that day has a window. As we read the parables, we listen to the story that Jesus tells. He helps us understand that not everyone was ready for the arrival of the bridegroom. The, the foolish ones had a lamp. They, they, they were ready for the moment, but they weren't ready for the waiting. And so they had no extra oil. But the wise ones were ready for waiting. And that's what made them wise. Because they were ready for the waiting. You know, as you read the story, it, it, it says, you know, that there were, as Jesus tells the story, that the bridegroom comes and, and, and the foolish ones have to go and, and, and go find some oil so that they can light their own lamps. And then all of a sudden it says, and the door was shut. The door was shut. I remember hearing or, or reading something, and I love this statement. It's by Leonard Ravenhill that says this, the opportunity of a lifetime, we need to take advantage of the opportunity of a lifetime in the lifetime of the opportunity. How many know that opportunities have a window? Opportunities have a window. And if you miss the opportunity, how many know you don't always get your do-overs? And Jesus is saying, listen, there's going to come a time when the door gets shut and the opportunity is over, you were either ready or you weren't. Then the story has this jarring ending because these, you have these, these ladies who have gone out and they weren't quite ready and so they went out and got oil and finally get to the place and they're banging on the door and they're knocking saying, hey, we're, we're here now. We're ready. Let us in. And then the bridegroom says, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Terribly jarring story. But what's interesting is that this language is actually echoed from the Sermon on the Mount. 
If you read the Sermon on the Mount, this is what it says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. It says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. See, what he's doing here is, is, is he's explaining what was said earlier. Because the, the, the ladies, as they're knocked, they, they say, Lord, Lord, we're here, let us in. And, and Jesus, and, and it's, it's bringing clarity to what was stated in the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a troubling passage. How many of you, when you picture Jesus, he's always like kind and sweet and saying the things you want to hear? But then you hear that there's times he says, listen, there's going to come a time when the door shuts. And there'll be people who say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And what's interesting is the activities associated with this, I think, describe people who actually um, hang around Jesus but never really know him. Because what Jesus says is, I never knew you. Now, now it's not that Jesus is saying, oh my goodness, I don't, I'm not aware of your person. It's not what he's saying. When he says, I don't know you, the idea simply is that, you know what, we never had a relationship with you. Like, you, you, you knew about me, you may have shown up at church, you, you may have served, you may have gone on a mission trip, you may have done all these different things, but you really didn't have a relationship with me. It's an interesting teaching because the door is shut. You see, readiness has a window. And I think one of the things that we battle with sometimes is spiritual procrastination. Now, anybody here ever procrastinate? You know what it means, procrastinate, right? It's to, to put off till tomorrow what you should be doing today. Right? I, I was a terrible high school student. I was a much, and I was a terrible college student. So for those going to college, listen, procrastination is not your friend. Okay? Um, I, I learned, I got way better at this when I went beyond. I got better at this, but procrastination is this, is that I'll put off till tomorrow what I should be doing today. And because of that, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I have a test. But you know what? How many of you would rather play hockey than study for a test? I've always got time to study later. Or writing a paper. Writing papers are fun, isn't it? It's a joy. And, you know, I would rather watch TV or, or hang out with friends or do something. You know, I would, I would rather do what's exciting now, and I'll just deal with this stuff later. And, you know, many people go through life saying, you know what, I will deal with my spiritual stuff later. Right now, there are things I want to do. There's a world I want to experience. There's things I want to explore. And until, until I do them, I'm not going to, you know, manage the spiritual things. And Jesus says, hey, be careful. Because there's a time that's coming when the door gets closed. And I think it, it, it's a challenge. It, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's, it's something as followers of Jesus we have to take personally. 
We have to understand that readiness has a window. This is why Jesus will conclude saying, therefore, keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. This is why I said we are called to a life of readiness in anticipation of Christ's coming. So what does being found ready require? And I'm going to invite the worship team to come because that will make me close faster. First of all, I would say this, that what does being found ready require? First of all, it requires taking personal responsibility. An interesting part of the story is when, when the, the foolish ladies go to the wise ladies and say, hey, give us some of your oil. And they're like, well, we can't do that because if we give some to you, then, then we're actually we're going to miss out too. And it's kind of like this abruptness, but what Jesus is saying is this. He's driving home the point that no one can do for you what you have to do for yourself. Well, when it comes to relationship with God, you have to do for you what you have to do for yourself. Nobody can do it for you. So, so it doesn't mean, well, because you know what? I was, you know, you grew up in a Christian home... Therefore, I'm ready because of the faith of my parents or the faith of my spouse. It's about taking spiritual responsibility for, 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 for the growing our relationship with God. It's about interacting with God's Word, not just on a Sunday when you come and you hear a sermon from God's Word. It's about saying, you know what? I have a responsibility to interact with God even if nobody's around, even if nobody else is doing it, that I have the responsibility. And being found ready means, you know what? I have a relationship with Jesus. Readiness is not something anyone else can do for you, but you. And until you accept that responsibility... You'll never be ready for the end. Secondly, part of this journey as followers of Jesus is learning to embrace the wisdom of God. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And, and, and this is the characteristic of the wise. It's the path to flourishing. It's the path to finding life is to begin to say, okay, God, I need to learn to bring my life in line with your teaching. This is why, again, for Matthew, he says, hey, guys, listen, there's five major things you need to understand about following Jesus. And these are kind of like the foundation for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You got to embrace his wisdom. That's not doing everything your way or the world's way. Learning from Jesus. Because when we begin to put into practice what God's Word says, it actually prepares us for every storm that we face. But not only every storm we face, but even for the end. Lastly, how do we be found ready? Taking personal responsibility, embracing the wisdom of God, and lastly, being faithful rather than fearful. Do you know something? We don't have to fear the end. 
We, we don't have to fear the end. And the reason is, is because you know who holds us? God does. Whether everything goes right or not, who holds us? Jesus. We don't have to fear the end. I, I know, I've been around the church long enough. I watch it, especially when, when, when junk goes on in the world and culture around us. Well, we can become incredibly fearful. And we begin to withdraw, and, and sometimes we begin to react out of our fear, and, and, and we shrink circles, and we do all these wonderful things. And we stop living the life God's called us to. Hey, guys, listen, the end is inevitable. And because of Christ, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear. Like Again, the, the end is about where we stand before God and we give an account for our life. Now, I don't know about you, but I know there's lots of stuff in my life I am not looking forward to having discussions with God about. Y'all with me on these? And you want to know what the great news is? I don't have to have them. You're like, what? Yeah. Because you know what God says? See, see, we have, everybody has this thing in our lives where we've done things wrong and that we're afraid to give an account for. We're, we're like, if people found out, you know how they would treat me, if they knew what was in my past, if they know what I've done, then they would want nothing to do with me. Yet God knows everything about us. Still loves us incredibly and says, you know what? I don't want your life defined by your history. And so Jesus came and he gave his life and paid the penalty for every sin, yours and mine, so that we have the ability to stand before God without fear. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. The idea of the righteousness of God means is that, you know what, because of our sin, we, th th there's this part that we sw slink away in shame and we can't stand in His presence. Yet because of what Christ has done for us, we can stand with confidence before our God, even in times of sorting and settling of accounts. See, we don't have to fear the end. We don't have to fear the end because of what our amazing Savior has done for us. We're called to a life of readiness. In anticipation of Christ's coming, He is coming. Hey, delays can be draining. Waiting for the kingdom to be manifest can be exhausting. But I want you to know there's a confidence that we can have because you know what? He will come. He will make it right. And may we live with a sense of readiness. And, and I want to pray for you this morning because I know some of you, you're here and you're, you're tired from waiting for the kingdom of God to be manifest. When will the kingdom of God be manifest? When will it be? Eh, no one knows the day or the hour. Be ready, because it's coming. Be ready. So, Lord Jesus, that's what we want to be, is ready.
Lord, nobody can do for us what we need to do for ourselves, which is to bring ourselves before you, to confess our sin, receive your grace, and follow you. And Lord, as we encounter this story, Lord, we're reminded that, God, we need to put our hope in you, the one who is coming. And God, I thank you that there is coming a day when you will deal with every wrong, every evil, every injustice. Lord, I thank you that there's coming a day where you will wipe every tear and that, God, you will restore a broken world. That, God, we might know fullness of life in your presence. I thank you that you're our king, our coming king. May we ever be ready for that day. Just while your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, how many will just simply say, you know what? I choose to live ready. I choose to live in right relationship with Jesus. I choose to take responsibility for my, 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 my following, for, for my relationship with Him. Trusting His timing and His plan. If that's you, would just raise your hand because I want to pray with you. Lord, you see all these hands. And God, I pray that your grace would meet, your grace would touch, and your grace would transform Lord, I pray for those who are in the waiting to see the kingdom manifest. God, may you surround them with your grace and with your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.